Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 267 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Before we get to today's uh, question, which is a, a really, really good one, I'd like to quickly give myself a pat on the back. I think I'm allowed to do that every once in a while. Uh, this is four weeks in a row. That's four new episodes in October 2017. Not sure when that when that happened last, but really happy and uh, some good download numbers. So uh, thank you to everybody who continues to to support the podcast by downloading these episodes. Appreciate it. Lots of great emails coming in. So let's keep this rolling. And today's topic is progress evaluation and then dash improvement process keys. So we're going to be talking today about how to tell whether or not you've got a new skill. And that could be technique related, it could be strategy and play pattern related. And it's critical to be able to accurately evaluate your progress because if you're working on something and you move on too soon, then everybody knows that you'll go back to your old habit. Well, maybe not everybody. I shouldn't take that for granted. Uh, if you're working on an uh, improvement to your forehand or a, a pattern in your doubles and you start working on it, but you move on too quickly, then you'll just go back to what you've always done. And in other words, you won't actually become a better tennis player. If you focus on the same thing for too long, that, then you'll get stuck. You won't develop as fast as you could. Or you'll kind of start to overdo it. You'll start to overanalyze and you'll get stuck in the same spot. So today's question comes to us from Bethany. Uh, she's a coach and she's a player. And it's a really excellent question. She, she, said, she wrote to me and said, So we coach in a small farm town where very few people are familiar with tennis or can afford to take tennis lessons. Typically, when an athlete joins our team, it's their first time ever even holding a tennis racket. So we spend most of our time getting these kids to the point that they can just hold a rally. This puts us at a huge disadvantage in our league because so many of the players on the teams around us start tennis at a young age. The things that we are able to start teaching them by their senior year are the things other teams do with their freshmen. And then whenever we lose a large senior class, we are starting back over again with very low levels of experience and ability for the next few years. So basically, we have four years, sometimes less if they start late, to make a complete beginner into someone who can compete with people who have played since they were seven. Then uh, when they leave, we start all over. So I'm wondering, it, what I'm, I'm sorry, what I'm wondering is if you have any tips for gauging when a player has adequately acquired a skill and is ready to move on to the next one. We don't want to rush them through things so that they never really gain competence over the skill, but we also don't want to spend more time than is needed for them to learn one thing. I know that everyone learns at different rates, but are there any signs that tell you when a player has acquired a skill or even a way to check or test their mastery of a skill? I'm also hoping that I can use whatever advice you have to make some improvements in my own game, though that's not my biggest priority right now. Okay, so Bethany, first of all, tip of the hat to you. Kudos to you. You're doing fantastic work. Uh, Bethany is working with, with high school kids 
And this is like, I mean, this is like in the trenches, as they say, real grassroots uh, work, working with with kids who it's their first exposure to the game. So you have an incredibly... A uh, huge responsibility here, Bethany, to to make it fun for them, and of course, to do as good of a job as you can developing their skills, so that they can enjoy the game as quickly as possible, and and hopefully, you know, become lifelong players, or maybe you know, like a lot of people, kind of put it away after college, but then pick it up again as an adult because because they enjoyed it so much when they were with you. So I, I just want to say, amazing job, you're. Uh, really proud of you for for how seriously you're taking this and how good of a job you're you're striving to do with these kids. So quickly, because I, I've gone over this several, really many times in the podcast, but it's it's critical, uh, kind of foundational understanding. So for for those of you who have, are not familiar with this concept, there's four phases of mastery to anything. I'll go through these in just 60 seconds. Phase one is unconsciously incompetent. It's you don't know what you don't know. Uh, you don't really have any mastery or competency at whatever the skill is, in this case, tennis. And you're, you're unaware of how low your skills are as well. You don't know anything and you can't execute. Phase two of four is consciously incompetent. So this person's come to their first team practice, has some some knowledge now, they've been told they're supposed to swing low to high or whatever it is. So they have some information in there, but they still can't execute correctly. It's just the very beginning phases of learning something new. Phase three is consciously competent. So there's that information, there's that knowledge rattling around up in their head. And now when they concentrate on it consciously, they can also execute it correctly, but they they have to be conscious to do it right. As soon as they get put into a more uh, competitive situation, a more real-life situation, they go back to bad habits because it's not an unconscious habit yet. And then the fourth phase is unconsciously competent. So no longer have to be aware of it or think about it or be conscious of it. It's just a habit and just automatically happens. And so no matter what we're learning, we must move through these levels of awareness and these levels of execution. And Bethany, I'm just gauging uh, based on how you asked your questions and, and the, the words that you use. I'm guessing you're aware of this, but in case not, this is, this is critical to know where your player is within that framework. Where is your player within those different phases? Ideally, you only want to work on one new movement or pattern of play at a time in each of the games of your students. So that means one new technical thing per stroke. So uh, one change or one improvement on the forehand, uh, one change or improvement on the backhand, on the serve and on volleys, uh, any more than that. And 99% of people are going to be overwhelmed, uh, kids included. Uh, with an exceptional athlete, maybe you can give them more, but vast majority of the time, it's just one thing per stroke. And you should also only be giving one pattern or new strategy to think about per area of the court for singles and doubles. And what I mean by area of the court is a baseline pattern for singles or a net pattern for doubles, uh, where a player should aim during within a certain situation on the court. Uh, with when they have a, a high ball at the nets or when they're playing singles and they're returning serve. 
etc. You cannot overwhelm players or they'll get stuck in just an, a never-ending cycle of consciously competent stuff where they're just bouncing around or somewhere in between consciously incompetent and consciously competent where you're just overloading them with tons and tons of information. And it sounds like you're aware of this, but this is for, for everybody's sake uh, and not just you. So this is kind of step number one is we, we can't overwhelm these kids or uh, when you work on your own game, don't overwhelm yourself. Give yourself just one thing technically for each stroke and one thing tactically per situation on the court in singles and doubles. If you want to go more in depth on this, podcast episode number 236 is called Walking and Chewing Gum. And I I go into detail uh, about why this is so important, just one thing at a time. So, uh, so Bethany's really, her ultimate question is, so when do you move on? Well, ideally, you should wait until each one of those skills, and this is this is where this is where you really have to do your work as a coach, and this is where you really need to inspire your players, Bethany, to really kind of take ownership of their own improvement. Because if you've got, you know, I don't know how many kids you've got, maybe fifteen or twenty kids, maybe it's more than that, then you can imagine the list starts getting really big. You know, if um, uh, Sally has you know her forehand what she's working on her forehand on her backhand on her volleys on her serve you might remember that but she needs to keep track of that and take ownership of it and you need to be able to track her progress through those different parts of her game and as you mentioned every player is going to move through each individual part of his or her game at different speeds so you can obviously with 15 or 20 players the complexity here becomes uh, really deep really really quickly excuse me and so it will take you a lot of concentration to track these things and ideally you want to wait with these players until they're unconsciously competent before you move on to the next forehand uh, project before you move on to the next serve fix before you move on to the next pattern of play within singles or within doubles and when you're running a group practice, uh, one of the more challenging things as a coach, and I, you know, I, I've been in this situation hundreds, probably thousands of times, is you have to try to find that, that kind of um, the biggest overlap between players to pick your themes each day, each day. Where, where are players struggling uh, as a whole, as a group? What, what is the biggest common denominator? And that ultimately, of course, means that some players are going to be a little more advanced than that and might be a little bit beneath what really challenges them. And other players, they're not going to be quite up to the task yet. And that's just how group coaching goes. There is no you know, perfect drill that gets just the right amount of challenge for every player because they all have unique and different skills and, uh, and abilities to execute different things. So, um, sorry, I'm kind of bouncing around here, but uh, hopefully I'm keeping it coherent enough. So, uh, so when do you move on? Ideally, wait until a skill is mostly unconsciously competent before you move on to the next forehand project or the next singles or doubles project. Now, this is critical. This may be the most important thing I say in this episode. It's, it's not a light switch. It's not binary. So the, the bridge or the step between phase two and phase three and phase three and phase four, the step from consciously competent to unconsciously competent, it's not a light switch where all of a sudden it gets flipped 
And it's like, oh, okay, so now that skill is embedded and will always happen no matter what, and there won't be any reversion, and this player has a, a lifetime of better forehands uh, from here on out. It doesn't work that way. And so it's critical for you as the coach to constantly be tracking and evaluating your players. There is no moment in time where he or she, quote, has it, and there won't be any reversion anymore. And so video is critical so that you can frequently evaluate the technique and the patterns of play. I highly recommend getting an iPad, but you can use a phone, as whatever your phone is, you can use as well, and use a coach's eye. Every player should have a technique and pattern of play checklist that they're personally working on. And um, I would hi- highly recommend for you as the coach to, to keep track of that as well. And just, you know, it doesn't, again, this, there's, there is no like hard science to this where, uh, well, they make 10 in a row with the right technique and boom, all right, we don't have to worry about that going back to the old habit anymore. It's something you constantly have to be aware of. Uh, there is no light switch. And so you've got to keep track of what's happening with your players in each, each different part of their game. So um, ideally unconsciously competent, you can move on to something new when they're consciously competent, but only if they're a good enough athletes. And I'm sorry, I can't, you know, um, objectively define what good enough athlete is. It's something that as a coach, you have to feel out. And each one of you listening right now needs to feel, you need to feel this out about yourselves. All of you listening have different abilities to pick up new skills, new movements, new, new patterns. And so after a while of evaluating yourself in real life, aka using video, you'll start to get a sense of how quickly or how slowly it takes you to pick up on things. And the only way to know for sure is to consistently evaluate yourself using video so you can actually see it. Some people can absorb and execute things more quickly than others. And you've got to manage that process religiously uh, for all of your players, Bethany. So, for example, uh, if you're working on a player with uh, a, for, a, a forehand change that needs to happen, and, and so there's kind of a checklist of things that you'd like to accomplish, and the first thing that you chose to work on, they're doing, they're doing pretty good, uh, consciously competent and able to execute it a pretty good percentage of the time. And so you move on to technique change number two. And shortly after moving on to that second thing, not only are they not able to keep track of number two and they go back to an old habit, but number one, change number one goes down the tubes as well. And so uh, uh, trying to focus on something new, not only are they not able to do that, but the other thing they were working on kind of gets dragged down and they go back and revert to an old to the old way of swinging. This happens all the time. And if you watch our coaching videos on YouTube, we actually just uh, posted a video, uh, which I'm going to try to look this up, maybe at the end here. We just posted a video of a complete coaching experience. It's a five-hour upload <laughs> to YouTube, which uh, to my knowledge, nobody, nobody has ever done before. And so it's beginning to end, uh, two full days of coaching. If you sit down and watch that, which... God bless you if you actually sit down and watch the whole thing. You'll get a sense for how I am managing the challenge level of this player. 
And so we might start off focusing on one thing, and then eventually I progress him a little bit more challenge to the next thing, and then to the next thing, then to the next thing. And then occasionally we'll hit a little bit of a roadblock, and I go back a step or two and, and say, okay, okay, remember this this thing that five minutes ago you were doing really great? Let's go back to that for a minute to, to gather their awareness, to, to manage the challenge so that they can start to execute the new thing correctly again, and then, and then slowly increase the difficulty level again. It's the same, it's, this happens in a micro sense and also in a macro sense. Micro meaning it might be six or seven progressions from shadow swing to, to rallying on a forehand change, and macro meaning from one forehand change to the next forehand change, kind of more big picture. And so both in a micro sense and, a, in, and in a macro sense, Bethany and everybody else listening, you need to manage your students and manage yourself as you start to introduce, introduce new things, to add that next layer of uh, execution, that next layer of difficulty. And so this is why video is criti- absolutely critical. Even Bethany, if you're watching your players, even if you're an outside observer, use video so that you can really clearly evaluate frame by frame and, and watch it back and be able to study it. And then based on um, how much they revert or if they revert at all, then you can evaluate from there when to move forward. And as you correctly pointed out in your question, this is going to be different for every player. Some players will pick things up really quickly. Other players will take a really long time and you really have to hold their hand and closely manage the the level of challenge or else no improvement happens. And most everybody else is, is someplace in between. So that's it in a nutshell, Bethany. Uh, video is critical. Managing difficulty level is critical. Managing the timing of when you move on to the next thing is critical. It really comes down to where are they in those four phases of learning. Unconsciously incompetent, consciously incompetent, consciously competent, and unconsciously competent. They need to at least be consciously competent and for your average athlete, for most players, need to start showing pretty strong signs of being unconsciously competent before moving on to a new thing. And if moving on to a new thing causes the previous thing to revert, then you know that it's not unconscious enough. And again, I can't stress that enough. It's not binary. It's not either or. It's not, well, it's either conscious or it's unconscious. There are different phases, um, different levels of unconscious competence. And so if uh, moving on to something new totally blows everything else up that you were working on, then go back and and, uh, uh, bring everything back in again that you worked on before and then push them further along, focusing just on that thing until it's more unconscious before you move on to the next one. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, this this a, a little bit more inside baseball, um, not not a little more more conceptual in this episode. I try to make these these episodes really practical, uh, very simple, very actionable. This is this is a little bit more, uh, I guess, philosophical or uh, technical in nature. Hopefully still uh, enjoyable. Hopefully gives you a good perspective on how you can manage your players' improvement. And uh, to the Bethany and to the rest of you listening, hopefully gives you good perspective and uh, kind of helps you solidify the process that you should be following to manage your own improvement. And Bethany, one more kind of quick message uh, for you specifically. 
I mean, it's great that you're you're focusing on a learning process here so that you can really tightly manage your players, get them to advance as quickly as possible, but not too quickly. But keep in mind, pro- po- quite possibly the most important thing in this situation that you described is fostering what I would call realistic perspective, realistic expectations for your players is critical. And there's, listen, there's absolutely no, they should, nothing for them to be ashamed of, but they, they need to understand uh, the reality of the situation that they're in. It's, it's great, absolutely amazing that they're picking up the sport for the first time. Hopefully you're doing a good job of communicating the reality of the competition that they have, uh, how much more time they've spent mastering different skills and awarenesses and patterns and strategies. Uh, not, not to in any way discourage them, but just I would really reframe it as a positive that they've got absolutely nothing to lose in these competitive situations. Uh, and just remind them that at the end of the day, this is all about the journey, the big picture, making a little bit of improvement, uh, a little bit more understanding, a little bit more knowledge uh, each and every day. It's really all about the experience and uh, the journey that is tennis uh, during their, their high school years as opposed to winning or losing. I'm sure you're doing a great job of that. It sounds like you've got really great perspective, but I uh, just want to throw in my, my two cents there as well. So Bethany, great question. Keep up the amazing work. Let me know if this is helpful to you. The rest of you listening, hopefully this is helpful as well. Not too inside baseball. Really appreciate your time and your attention as always. If this episode is helpful to you, do me a favor and, and tell somebody else about it. And if you have a c- couple spare moments, leave the Essential Tennis Podcast a review on the iTunes Music Store. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care and good luck with your tennis.